From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Hervoye Moritz Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, great. First hour chat with Jeff Rich. He joins me monthly from Australia. He's a retired government official, and uh, I'll be having this hour. Ernie Baca, retired life in Mexico, noble.com to talk about expatriation, Mexico, Latin America, this part of the world. Uh, But first, uh, a reminder, the inaugural conference of Australians for Science and Freedom brings together thinkers and community leaders to share learnings, formulate plans, and help establish new and emerging networks and organizations to restore a thriving Australian society founded on science and freedom. Join the exciting lineup of health professionals, scientists, economists, lawyers, journalists, and community leaders to discuss a range of hot issues, including healthcare policy, democracy, and human rights, education, the media, and the role of grassroots organizations. The Australians for Science and Freedom Conference will be held at the University of New New South Wales, High Street, Kensington, New South Wales, uh, this Saturday, November 18th, from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m., as well as this Sunday, November 19th, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. TNC Radio will be broadcasting from the conference. Tickets are available at scienceandfreedom.org. I just came across this crazy news from my former home of Kazakhstan. They've officially launched their digital tenge. The chairman of Kazakhstan's National Payment Corporation has made the first transaction with the country's new CBDC, the digital tenge. Uh, he, during his speech uh, in Almaty uh, today, um, he paid with a debit card tied to the CBDC uh, account. So uh, there you go. That is moving uh, ahead. You you will eat the bugs. U.S. beef prices hit record high as nation's cattle herd expected to shrink through 2025. So they're making it um, harder and harder to uh, to eat meat. Uh, there you go. Um, this story was absolutely crazy. This is from Ken Silva, who I've had on the, a number of times as a guest who writes for Headline USA. And uh, it's been revealed now that they were talking about this supposed hitman recruited to target John Bolton. Uh, so, you know, there, there was this hitman that was recruited to target John Bolton. Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. It was an FBI informant. Always. It's always an FBI informant. In August 2022, the Justice Department announced that the FBI had foiled an Iranian plot to assassinate John Bolton. But the hitman hired to target Bolton was an FBI informant. Always is the FBI running these false flag domestic terror operations. So totally not surprised there. They just use this to drum up public support for war with Iran. As I've mentioned earlier, the um, U.S. Army Pacific has launched a massive theater-wide U.S. versus China war game. 
the commanding general says the purpose is is um says the purpose of RB Pacific and its buildup is to avoid war. So they are prepping um potential war with China uh, that is going on. And also this concerns me. Uh, Milorad Dodik, the secessionist leader of Bosnia and Herzegovina's, Herzegovina's Republika Srpska, said he sees himself as the first president of independent Republika Srpska in 2030, sparking a, a fresh political scandal in the highly unstable country. Um, so you've got George Friedman talking about war breaking out in Serbia again. You've got uh, Dodik talking about Bosnia ending basically so um because bosnia is basically run you got the muslim um bosnia comprises two autonomous entities the muslim croat federation and republika srpska so that is interesting uh also this was a fascinating report from guardian it says bp british petroleum's fossil fuel hydrocarbon projects as i like to call them in azerbaijan have helped fund the military aggression against karabakh armenians through the transfer to billions of dollars to the azerbaijan government since 2020 um i mean this is old school geopolitics where it's often the oil companies that are linked to washington to the pentagon uh, that are involved in regime changes you know clear example bp in 1953 less people forget in 1953, it was basically at the behest of BP that CIA and MI6 overthrew the democratically elected Mohammed Mossadegh um, in op what what is known as Operation Ajax, uh, and then installed the the authoritarian Shah because Mossadegh was going to nationalize the oil and uh, kick BP out of Iran. So that, that you know that's classic example of the, the oil company. Um, involved in geopolitics and so here we are again bp in azerbaijan yeah you know who you know who knows how involved bp was with this push of uh armenians out of nagorno karabakh that was um so that's interesting and also israel uh is uh, asking social media to do a lot of censorship uh israel has asked meta and TikTok to remove 8,000 posts related to hamas war israel says its takedown requests to social media companies have increased increased tenfold since the start of the war 94 percent of the content was removed that that they asked uh to be removed um and as i mentioned earlier the kobaisi letter reports chinese holdings of u.s treasuries are officially at their lowest level since 2009 10 years ago china had uh 1.3 trillion record u.s treasuries today it's 805 billion down 40 percent this is due to the recent move in bond markets so u.s treasuries remain under pressure that is also an important flash point uh don't miss out on a thing download the tnt radio app for your smartphone you can get it from the apple app store or google play so you can listen easily live to us anywhere anytime get it now and stay up to speed on tnt radio keeping the commitment i love you guys unbelievable 24 7 listen to you every day have for years today's news talk radio tnt after 
after commercial satellite photos revealed Israeli troops moving in the Gaza Strip, U.S. officials said they won't require space imagery companies to change what they release to the public, but some firms appear to be slowing the distribution of photos typically provided to news outlets. Here with the story, joining me once again, TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Rory. So apparently, allegedly, reportedly, last year, open source imagery helped disprove false Russian claims about its invasion of Ukraine. And that, of course, was all fine and dandy, well and good. We love it. We ate that up. However, the escalating war in Israel is raising fresh questions about what happens when satellites train their cameras on U.S. allies at war. Companies such as Planet Labs and Maxar Technologies have allowed news agencies to track Israel's ground assault in Gaza and detail the destruction from airstrikes the Israeli military launched in response to the Hamas terrorist attacks on October 7th. U.S. regulation of space image imagery is overseen by NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is, quote, not considering additional restrictions and constantly monitors licensees for compliance with the conditions of their licenses, end quote, according to NOAA spokesperson Scott Smullen. But reports have surfaced that since Israel's ground invasion of Gaza, Planet has restricted and obscured parts of images of Gaza for users and delayed the release of certain images. A Planet spokesperson said the company continues to make images of Gaza available to clients, citing data recently featured in Washington Post and NBC articles. A spokesperson said, quote, enabling transparency and promoting responsible data practices throughout the ongoing conflict is a core tenet of Planet's mission, and we will continue this important work, end quote. NOAA, which gives licenses to companies to operate private remote sensing satellites, already puts some restrictions on what images satellites can take, such as photos of sensitive military sites. These licenses allow the U.S. government to order a commercial company to close its satellite's eye over a certain area or during a certain period of time. But this quote-unquote shutter control has never yet been used, and it only applies to U.S. companies. And U.S. law has for decades limited the release of high-resolution satellite imagery of Israel. Since 1997, the Kill-Bingaman Amendment has forbidden U.S. companies to publish photos more detailed than those available from foreign sources. This effectively restricted imagery to two-meter resolution until 2020, when NOAA began to permit the distribution of 40-centimeter imagery. That's pretty detailed. Uh, quote, uh, this is coming from NOAA's spokesperson, Smullen. Quote, all NOAA commercial remote sensing regulatory affairs issued licenses have a standard condition that restricts licensees from disseminating unenhanced data or processed data or products derived from the licensed system of the state of Israel at a resolution finer than the most recent resolution specified in the federal register as being available from commercial sources, end quote. Meanwhile, Maxar releases satellite images of Ukraine at 30 centimeter resolution, 
clear enough to make out small features on the ground. But the Israel-Hamas war is different from the conflict in Ukraine, quote, because the imagery has the potential to reveal things our ally may not want the public to see, such as troop movements and the specific location of strikes, end quote. That's according to Todd Harrison, a longtime defense analyst who is the managing director of Matria Strategic Insights. But it would appear, Hervori, that they're they're making some sort of special exceptions here for one particular instance, for one particular country, for one particular conflict. Uh, now, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but you can see clearly what that implies. Uh, what do you think about this? I mean, I just, it, it, it it's this unnerving uh, relationship, right, between uh, governments and big tech, um, Silicon Valley, or as Yasha Levin calls it, the uh, surveillance valley. It reminds me of the story I, I just briefly mentioned and how Israel has had a the Israeli government has had a 94% success rate in getting platforms to take down the content. Uh, you know, Meta, TikTok, they say they, they've had a harder time with uh, Telegram. But, you know, th this just goes to show all governments uh, everywhere are just d developing closer relationships. They don't always get what they want, I guess, which is uh, a, a good thing. But... Yeah, and it becomes, you know, a delicate situation in the time that we're in, in the in war, whether it's uh, Ukraine or in this case, um, Gaza. What, what do you make of it? Oh, it's like there was something really interesting that that one guy, uh, Harrison, said. Uh, here it is. Um, in speaking about the, the technology and what this means, right? Uh, these these um, sources of aerial imagery can give an unprecedented real-time understanding of battlefield events. Uh, but he says that the expansion of commercial space remote sensing is making war more transparent for the world and is changing how military operations are conducted. And I imagine that that's got to be absolutely frustrating to the powers that be, the military-industrial complex, to have their wars uh so you know open available to the public and transparent you know it reminds me of my recent podcast with retired cia case officer brian fairchild who will be joining me here on tnt radio in a couple months um to continue our discussion but one thing he was talking about uh, you know his thesis was that the cia is broken Again, he's a former CIA officer. I always, you know, maybe he's that's part of the disinformation, or maybe it really is broken. I get, you never know. But he was talking about espionage in in today's day and age with all of these satellites. That it's it's much more difficult to carry out for governments to carry out, you know, espionage as we, you know, during the Cold War era. Because now, you know, China's got their satellites over the U.S. U.S. has their satellites everywhere. Russia and everyone else it's 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 interesting it's it's much more difficult to get away with stuff as you mentioned um in in war where everyone can see everything now so it's it's quite a fascinating time to have a, th a third world uh war but and that reminds me of a story i didn't get time to mention how this is space news reports how uh apparently there was a russian satellite that was dormant for six years which they was assumed was not active. It just made a bit large maneuver. 
uh it made a large maneuver uh where it it it, it dealt with you know i guess these other russian assets uh, up in space so again a lot of stuff is going on when it comes to space satellites and and uh so forth so uh all right ruckus thanks for that we'll talk tomorrow we got ernie baca uh joining us here from mexico phone lines are open if you got questions about uh mexico or expatriation we'll be right back tnt radio's jeremy now we won't get into the politics too much but i do enjoy your position and that is i'm american america first yeah that's right america first i don't i don't care about hamas i don't care about israel they're fighting over a patch of sand that i don't care about in a place that i don't care about and it's two people groups that i don't care about it has nothing to do with us and that has nothing to do with ethnocentrism it, that just has to do with the fact that if you're in a nation your loyalty should always go with the nation first i, I don't even know how you would run a nation that didn't operate that way mm. and you've spoken about that hierarchy before uh, it's a uh, god family nation that's right god family nation it has to be as part of the intrinsic hierarchy of reality you're going to start with god and then family and then nation in that order it, i don't even think it works any other way to be honest with you. jeremy now on today's news talk tnt radio radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener what's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it you know people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is how ubiquitous it is it's in our cars it's in our homes there are so many new ways to access it it's everywhere to find out more go to tntradio.live info at your beck and call accurate clear communication it keeps changing every day just tell your smart device to play tnt radio joining us for the first time on this rebel transmission is ernie baca host of the youtube channel retired life in mexico no bull uh, the website is retired life in mexico no bull dot com thanks for being with us ernie oh it's great to be here how's it going it's going uh good uh you know over the years i've enjoyed uh your uh, the information that you provide um it's slightly less relevant for me now because now i'm a full-on mexican citizen i've been here for over a decade but um nonetheless still useful to to get updates to see how you're analyzing things and um you're out there i believe in san miguel i'm here in jalisco guadalajara and maybe just you know just to start uh, whatever you, you'd want to tell us about your background and how you ended up in, in mexico well, uh, my background's a little bit, I'm a, a ex-government employee. Um, I spent 30 years in federal law enforcement. Um, I spent 10 years with the Marshal Service and 20 years with, well, uh, depending what you want to call it, <laughs> uh, I transferred from the Marshal Service to what used to be U.S. Customs Investigations. And then, of course, after 9-11, Congress decided that Immigration and customs are the same thing, so we're going to kind of merge them, but we're going to take the investigators, put them in one agency, and then we're going to take the uniform services and put them in another. So I ended up in what is now known as immigration and customs enforcement. Um, and then later on, uh, everybody started, uh, we had a lot of different investigative duties, so we changed our branding to Homeland Security Investigations. So that's when I Finally retired, I was working for Homeland Security Investigations. 
Um, so that's basically my background. Uh, I was able to retire early. Um, our, in the federal law enforcement system, you, well, it's actually mandatory at 57. So I decided to go at 52. You can go at 50 uh, with 20 years of experience. I have 30, but uh, I decided at 52 to retire. Um, we decided to move to, we didn't decide to move to San Miguel. I retired. We were having, I was living in South Texas. We came down to San Miguel. Uh, we were playing around with the idea of buying a house somewhere else in another country. And we came to San Miguel kind of, uh, actually for the day of the dead celebration, which is very, very famous down here in San Miguel. And we just said, Hey, uh, why don't we, there was a booth that was trying to do pre-sales of houses. And we said, what do we have to lose? And I thought we were going to go into this uh, timeshare type thing, sales pitch, because they said they were going to pick, they could pick us up. We fell in love with the community and we walked away signing a contract on the house. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we decided to, well, we're going to go down to San Miguel, spend a couple of months there, spend a couple of months in Santa Fe, spend a couple of months in Texas. Cause we still had our house in Texas. And one day we just got up and said, well, why don't we just move to San Miguel? Uh, we ended up not buying the house that we signed a contract on. We went and it's in the same neighborhood, but we found another house we fell in love with. And, you know, we didn't, my kids are already in college and, uh, well, one of them's already out. Um, and it's sort of like we're empty nesters. Let's just move to Mexico. Why not? <laughs> uh, so we did. And that's so, how I yeah. got to San Miguel de Ende. It, 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 you know, the question is, uh, when people ask me, you know, it's like, you, you didn't choose Mexico. Mexico chose you. And, uh, you know, I, I took a job. Uh, I was in Croatia uh, living at, at home. Uh, and then they offered me a job in Mexico at the top school, the Tecnologico de Monterrey. And I came in 2010 thinking, hey, I can learn Spanish. It's warm. Who doesn't love Mexican food? Mexican women are pretty. And, you know, one year becomes two, becomes you, you be, I become a Mexican. I marry a Mexican. I, as you, you know, I purchase a home here. Uh, and then the rest is history. And it's just funny. You know, you, you kind of don't plan it, but Mexico chooses um, you. And, you know, Mexico is, I can call it an, an enigmatic place. There are many paradoxes, right? On one hand, as on your channel, you explain um, it's a wonder play, wonderful place to live. It's a low cost of living. It's very colorful. The food is great. The people are good. And we've got this problem with cartels and security. Uh, and then I still, I'm still trying to figure it out. People ask me, what's the situation like? And my answer is, well, I've been here for over a decade. I'm still alive. Most of everyone I know that I've known is still alive. So I guess that's a pretty good uh, measure. But what's sort of your big picture view on Mexico right now? Well, you know, Mexico is a, a unique place. It's a very unique animal. Um, and like like you were saying, on one point, actually, everybody looked at me. and Oh, and speaking of the technological, my father-in-law happens to be an emeritus professor of economy from there. And my wife actually was a professor at the technological campus in Chiapas for a while after she got her master's. So we have something in common. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, but, um, you know, the thing with Mexico, you know, when I moved there, of course, I came from the federal law enforcement 
background. And of course, all my coworkers were, you're crazy. Um, because, you know, I, I had a firsthand perspective of what was going on. I, you know, I saw all the intelligence reports. I saw a picture of Mexico that was very different than even you see in the, in the news. Um, and so, you know, you can get jaded by that perception of Mexico. Um, and I think I was listening to one of your previous uh, shows that you had somebody from the Tecnologico that was talking about, and, and it's very true, um, that we have a violence problem here in Mexico, but everybody just lives their daily lives. Um, I haven't experienced any, you know, I talk about security. I talk about having common sense. I talk about um, safety and all of that stuff, but um, it's not something that you're exposed to. It It's something you're exposed to in the news. Uh, like Mr. Duarte was saying, it's something that we know happens. The Mexican people are very aware of it, but you're, like I said, nothing's ever happened to me. I've traveled the roads in Mexico. Uh, you, you live in Guadalajara. Um, actually the home to one of the biggest cartels in, in Mexico. And, but you don't see, you know, people have this image that you're walking down the street and all these people are, are, are trying to sell you drugs or has have long arms on them. And, and that's not really the, the whole truth. But when I talk about this is the problem is that we have a lot of times with a lot of people that are immigrating here to Mexico is, um, it, when it comes to security, a lot of people have this, uh, they get, get this common false sense of security. In other words, you know, as long as you're not involved in the cartels, as long as you're not involved with drug dealing, you're not going to mess with it and nothing's going to happen to you. You're safe. And a lot of the routes that people have to travel are through the border. And right, <laughs> the border is infested with cartel. And I, I tell them, you know, it's actually being in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's what can happen. Um, I, I can tell you, uh, being in Monterrey, uh, I, I'll actually, we built a house in Monterrey and I've been there for a year and a half. And it's interesting because, you know, one day we go to the Costco, the next day there's an assassination in the parking lot of the Costco. But, you know, I, I didn't see the assassination, you know, uh, nobody got hurt except for the person that was assassinated. So, you know, these things happen. Um, and, but it, at the same time, if you, you know, the thing that I stress, especially with the travel is, and, and I try to keep people up to date because there's a lot of issues that go on, uh, the problems with the cartels right now, you have the, the cartel is a three pronged thing. They're fighting against each other for power, uh, within themselves for power. And then at the same time, they're fighting against another cartel that wants to move into their area. And then at the same time, at many points, they're fighting against the government. So you don't want to get stuck in, you don't want to get stuck in the middle of one of those fights is what I tell people. That's basically what I try to advise people when it comes to security. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it, common sense. Violence yeah, happens that, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's a good assessment. Uh, if you want to hold that thought real quick, um, Ernie, we, we got to jump to our headlines. We'll be right back. The news right here. TNT Radio News. Radio News. This is James O'Neill. 
President Biden is meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping in San Francisco today as the U.S. and China, two of the world's biggest economic powerhouses, struggle to defuse tensions. A passenger bus lit off a Himalayan highway, killing at least 37 people and injuring 18 others after rolling down a steep slope onto another road in Indian-controlled Kashmir on Wednesday. Almost two in three Canadians have a negative impression of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and half want him to resign before the next election, a new survey suggests. For all the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers happening near you, visit the What's on Events calendar on the TNT Radio website at tntradio.live. Stay in touch on TNT Radio. We continue our conversation with Ernie Baca. You can check out his website, retiredlifeinmexiconoble.com. There you'll find uh, his YouTube channel where there's a lot of um, uh, informative information uh, on if you want to if you're interested in coming to Mexico expatriating visiting uh, and and so forth and just on the security thing it's funny you mentioned Costco um, uh, where you were at because I remember a few years back maybe one or two years ago uh, even the Costco in Guadalajara which I used to frequent I don't really go to Costco anymore um, same thing happened there I remember one day Again, I didn't see it. I didn't experience it. But, but that it was that day. It was the day after or the day of. And I'm pushing my car back to the car. And you kind of see, you know, there's heightened activity. And I asked one of the dudes working. And they're like, what happened? And apparently it wasn't an assassination pl- that was planned. Apparently, you know, there's never parking. And people are waiting for someone to pull out so they can get that parking spot. Well, apparently there was a guy waiting for a parking spot. And someone you know, the car pulled out and someone pulled in ahead of him. And I guess this guy that had been waiting was armed. Maybe he was a narco and he got angry Mm -hmm. and he just shot this guy on the spot and killed him. Uh, So, uh, you know, this is one of the things why in Mexico, you don't want to really do road rage because you never know who is in the other car. Um, And, you know, I thought I'd also mention here where I am in Guadalajara just happened a few days ago, a deputy police director walked into a coffee shop uh, and they were waiting, waiting for him. Two women, two two men and two women, uh, sitting, pretending they were, you know, having coffee. And as this guy came in to enter the coffee shop, they blasted him uh, and ran. So you know, they followed his routine. But typically, as you say, I, I, it's we have to have a middle point. You know, often it's people who are targeted are government officials, right, um, or or people who um, were are involved in the cartels. Uh, but we can't live like in La La Land. We have to have, I always have this situational awareness, operational security. And so it's kind of um, uh, in the middle. But l- l- let me ask you about, you know, another reason so many people come down to Mexico is for economic reasons. You know, there's a lot of retirees um, in Chapala, Lake Chapala. It's an hour away from where I am. From what I remember reading, I think it's the biggest concentration of American uh, Canadian expats uh, on the planet. I, I think there's tens of thousands that, that live there. Um, and really, you know, you can enjoy low cost of living um, in, in Mexico. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, getting back to the security before before we get off of that real quick, it's also common sense. I mean, a lot of people bring this up, but a lot of people will say, well, you know, in the United States, we have mass shootings. And it's the same thing. If you're in New York City, you're going to take certain precautions walking down the road, okay, or walking down the street. You're not going to go into certain neighborhoods in New York. Uh, I worked 
uh, in Chicago. I worked in some of the worst neighborhoods and in, in, it's about preparation and that's what it's, it's about common sense. And like we said, finding a middle ground, uh, you know, and I've been all over the world. I, I've, I've worked in Jordan. I was in Jordan for a while. Uh, I was in an attache in Brazil and it goes no matter where, which country you go to, every country has their problems. So you have to be careful, but getting to the fact of a lot of Americans that are moving here is it, it is for financial reasons. Um, in what we're seeing and, you know, I, I, I don't follow politics too much, but you know, the American economy is, is, uh, inflation is out of control. Um, in Mexico, they've been able to keep inflation. You know, there is inflation here. Cost of stuff is going up, but it's not anything like the United States. Um, you have a lot of individuals that are on social security that the average social security is around a thousand eight hundred dollars a month now people have other i have a pension people have other sources but if you look at the average social security check a person that just worked his life in the united states and gets their basic social security at 67 a lot of times is eighteen hundred dollars a month and $1,800 a month is not sustainable in most places in the United States. And that's what's bringing a lot of them down here. Um, the only issue is that at the same time, um, Mexico is there. There's a two prong approach here in Mexico. One prong is we're not going to let you in unless you're financially solvent. And you have to show a monthly income of $3,000 right now. It's $2,700 to about $3,100 or $3,200. But at the same time, Mexico, uh, until this last president, used to be very lax on immigration. Um, this last president decided he was, and I don't know if it was an effort to be more strict on immigration or if it was an effort to modernize the system. But the system was very antiquated uh, before uh, this current president got in. And he decided that he was going to modernize everything. So everything went into computers. Um, literally, they took two to three years. There was warehouses full of these paper documents that they they actually made into electronic form. Now, when you go through the airport, you don't have to fill out a form. You just They just stamp your passport. But what Mexico has realized also is there's a lot of people that were living here they would just come in on a tourist visa state and just never leave. And that became an issue for them. So they do have programs for those people that, or there was people that were running to the border every 180 days to go get another tourist visa. And, you know, there's a big argument whether that's legal or not by the law. Technically it's, I mean, by any law in any country, it's not legal to keep coming in as a tourist and living here or living anywhere. But, at the same time, if you're issued your FMM or your 180 day tourist visa or tourist permission, you have the right to be here. Uh, so it's kind of illegal, but legal at the same time. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. But Mexico has tried to fix that problem by uh, with a, the regularization program. Um, a lot of people say it started with COVID. That the regularization program has always been around in the law. But uh, Mexico decided, and a lot of people mistake it with COVID and say, well, they were trying to uh, let a lot of people in. But it was around the time of COVID 
that they decided, well, and they were also doing all this modernization, they decided, hey, we got to have a program for these people that we've let them stay here for 10 years or 15 years, and we haven't done anything. It's not kind of kind of not fair to kick them out. So Mexico has been kind of in this position where we want to let everybody in, but at the same time, uh, we need to start uh, coming up with a, a game plan here. And the other problem that they've had in the past couple of years is the influx of South Americans that have been coming through. So that's flooded their immigration system. So Mexico's in a really weird position right now when it comes to immigration on both ends from South. Uh, Mexico's getting hit from the South and they're getting hit from the North. <laughs> that's about the only way I can explain it. Yeah. By the way, I used to live in Kazakhstan for a while. And if people thought six month tourist visa run is difficult in Mexico, and in Kazakhstan, it's 30 days, one month. And I knew someone who every month would take an uh, all-night train to the border in Uzbekistan, get into Uzbekistan, and then get back in and take in like a 15-hour train back. Imagine doing that every single month. <laughs> wow. <be> crazy. <laughs> but um just on the residency. But by the way, I'm I'm I was born in Chicago. So I'm from I'm from Chicago. And mm -hmm. just on one more security note, the only time that I've ever stared down the barrel of a gun was not even on the south side of Chicago, north side Chicago. That was 2004, oh, wow. almost 20 years ago. I was I was the manager of a supermarket. It used to be called Happy Foods. Three guys came in with guns, stuck it in my face, had to open the safe, uh, and then oh, uh, they geez. took a, you know they took the money. But it was near my home where I lived. Uh, but uh, anyways, the, the residency issue though, if you could tell us a bit more, because I, I there there is the what you mentioned the financial requirement. But I think if you know if, where there's a will, there's a way. I don't think it's that difficult. Um, there are lawyers. Uh, I think you've you've talked to some on your channel that, and I don't think they're even that costly. But they help do all the paperwork and speed up the process. I know when I got my citizenship, I just paid someone. It wasn't even that much, and they they kind of streamlined everything, so I became a citizen. Um, but you know, you can get married to a Mexican, uh, and then after two years, you can become a citizen. Or w once you can get mm -hmm. that resident uh, that annual yearly residence, uh, Mexican, what do you call it? The, the, the residence visa, it just renews for four years and then you get the permanent residency. And then after that, you can get citizenship. And so um, it's it's not that difficult, no? I mean, if someone would want to come here. Well, the, the, it, it all depends. <laughs> it depends on your personal situation. And one thing I want to get straight, there there's some very unique things about residency here in Mexico. If you hold residency in here in Mexico, and this is what I advise people, because usually um, you people have long-term plans to maybe move to Mexico and there's these financial requirements. Um, but one of the things that Mexico has is they don't have any, like, for example, in the United States, I'm going to use it because I worked in the immigration system in the United States. In the United States, you get permanent residency, right? And if you get permanent residency in the United States, if you leave the country for more than 880 days, you lose your permanent residency. You're technically supposed to be residing in the United States. Mexico is very unique. If you get your temporary residency or your permanent residency, there is no requirement that you live in Mexico. Okay. Now, here's the catch. If you want to get your Mexican citizenship, yes, you can't have been out of the country the previous two years for more than 180 days. But that's if you're applying for, but you can technically at 22 years old, apply for your residency 
if you have a job that's making the financial, let's say you're making $4,000 a month at your job in the United States, and you can show six months of financial solvency, and you tell them that, hey, I'm going to work remotely over there. I want residency. Um, and you have the financial solvency, you can get it now. And then the only thing you have to do is you might have to come back because the first time they give it to you for a year, unless you're married to a Mexican, they give it to you for two, but they give it to you for a year. You can renew it for three and then you can convert it to permanent residency and it's permanent. Um, nobody takes it away uh, unless you do something really bad or, or, <laughs> or uh, you know, uh, that's the way they take it away. But so, uh, I always tell people, if you have these long-term plans and you have a job and you're working, um, go ahead and apply now. How hard is it? I mean, it's easy in that sense. Um, and then also, a lot of people concentrate on the monthly amount. You know, 30, I said, as a matter of fact, I just did the same. I, I just made that mistake. $3,100 a month, $2,700 a month. But also, you can show that in savings. So let's say you retire. You have a 401k, you can actually show that in the savings. So I think we get so tied up in these financial requirements. Yes, they're very hard and very tough for somebody that's making $1,800 a month in social security, but then they might not realize I have a 401k that I can show savings of $55,000. I think it's $58,000 now in the bank for the last 12 months and they can qualify. And like you said, Marrying a Mexican citizen, that's also uh, another way. Um, and then uh, there's also this regularization program that I'm talking about. The only thing with the regularization program is that Mexico, uh, they had this program uh, set up for people that uh, had been here and kind of want to come here and don't really qualify. And we don't think it's kind of fair that we just all of a sudden say, all of a sudden, you got to make a lot of money to come here. Um, they've had this program for a while. Uh, the last time I spoke to somebody within the government, they were supposed to get rid of it last year in 2022, but it still keeps going. Um, and they evaluate it every six months. Actually, some offices have even shut the program down and then reopened it six months later. Um, so that's another way of getting in. All you have to show is that you've been to Mexico before 2021 actually in some offices before 2022, uh, show a passport stamp that you came in, that you were a tourist. I mean, all you have to have is one day that you stayed here. <laughs> you don't need, you don't need uh, that you were living here. All you need is that one day, and then an expired. Here's the catch: it's got to you have to be there on an expired. Your your permission has to expire, and then after that, you can apply. Um, so. Uh, I tell people to try to take care of that. I mean, try to take advantage of that program as quickly as possible because it could go away. Um, yeah. So, you know, Mexico's in this kind of, like I said, we're, it's kind of in this weird situation. And and then the other thing too, last year, um, they got pressured by the, and, you know, a lot of people don't really realize this, but the United States started pressuring Mexico because a lot of Venezuelans didn't need they could come in like an American into Mexico. They just asked for 180 days. And what a lot of Venezuelans were doing is they were coming into Mexico for 180 days, but they were just going straight to the U.S. border and claiming asylum. So the U.S. government said, hey, you need to crack down on Venezuelans. And the president said, 
okay, we're going to crack down on you too. So last year, there was a period of time where the 180 days wasn't feasible. They were giving people five days, seven days. A lot of people just thought it was the immigration officer in a bad mood, but it was a really a political thing. And yeah, I, I, eventually- I horror stories from uh, uh americans uh as as well uh if, if you can hold that thought real quick ernie we gotta jump to our break we'll be right back the european central bank is saying the quiet part out loud about central bank digital currency from washington dc this is the morano minute with your host tnt radio's mark morano the president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, admitted the EU's new central bank digital currency will be used to impose control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. Mm-hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France Uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Did you get that? You have to give up your freedom and use a central bank digital currency and no more cash because of a terrorist attack 10 years ago. What's the bigger threat? Tyrannical government trying to protect you or the terrorists themselves? Reject central bank digital currency. Reject the Great Reset. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. I want to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. I need to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Why can't I eat, eat, eat apples and bananas? Support the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks to help provide meals to those in need. Join us at feedingamerica.org. You're with Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It is our final segment with our first-time guest here, Ernie Baca. Check out his website, uh, Retired Life in Mexico, nobull.com, and his YouTube channel. He's got a lot of videos there on a wide variety of topics when it comes to Mexico. But by the way, we're talking about residency and citizenship. I remember I was told, I think, that I could lose my Mexican citizenship if if I'm not in the country for 10 years i could theoretically possibly lose it you know I, I have thought of moving back to my other home of croatia so i i just have to come back every uh, once <laughs> every 10 years but I, I wanted to get back actually to it's the, five huh? actually it's five years okay it's I, I, five my, years. My, my, might be Alzheimer's. It's every five, 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 five years. Um, but yeah. the the, co- the cost of living thing again. That's a big thing because I just spoke last weekend to a Mexican friend of mine who spent a while in the U.S. They came back, and they're telling me it's completely untenable. Like with him, with his wife and kids, before they'd rent a place for a three bedroom house for a thousand four hundred dollars in Las Vegas. And now it's like two thousand five hundred dollars. Telling me the price of like a gallon of milk of everything is just absolutely skyrocketed and and i'm still amazed here in mexico uh people uh i just i still can't get over this my water utility bill you're you can pay for the year in advance which is pretty cool um i pay i think last time i paid less than 100 bucks for the entire year uh my electricity is like 15 between 10 to 20 dollars a month 
you know, my mobile is like 10 bucks a month. Like you, you compare these numbers to the U S it's, it's just mind blowing. Um, and so, but you know, things are getting more expensive in Mexico, but it's still, it's still livable. Um, uh, you know, real estate in certain parts of Mexico are getting very expensive, but overall, uh, I think it's, it's, it's pr a pretty sweet deal. No, no, it is. And, you know, uh, we're looking at, as a matter of fact, I, I don't know how, I don't know how accurate inflation rates are. You, you know, governments like to put what they want to put, what you, they want you to hear. But if you look at the inflation rate of Mexico, actually the peso is gaining a lot of strength to get against the dollar. Uh, there's a lot of factors. Uh, it's not only the strengthening of the Mexican economy, but what you're seeing is, is for example, an 11 or 12%. And I'm not sure if those are the real numbers in the United States, but that's what the Federal Reserve wants you to believe. 11 to 12% inflation rate. And apparently it's coming down because of the raising interest rates. But then in Mexico, you compare that to a 4% inflation rate. So even though things are going up in Mexico, they're not going up at the rate that they are in the United States. Um, and I can attest to the fact that I went back to Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, which is one of the more expensive places in the United States. But, you know, my wife sent me to go buy some basic groceries. I'm talking, you know, luncheon meat, a uh, gallon of milk, uh, a six pack of Coke and some chips. And before I knew it, I was spending 150 bucks. Now for 150 bucks, I can fill my grocery cart here in San Miguel de Andes. And San Miguel de Andes is one of the more expensive places in, in Mexico. Um, now we, I just did a video where I mean, I did a live actually, where I went to the market, we took 500 pesos, which is the equivalent to maybe 20, 25 bucks. It depends on the exchange rate. And I bought two weeks worth of vegetables. We literally filled the back of our truck with vegetables, um, our SUV. So, you know, the cost of living, it, it's still livable. It really is. And I tell people, you know, if you want to live like a king here, yeah, you can spend four or $5,000. There's plenty of high, I mean, there's plenty of million-dollar mansions on the top of the hill over here in San Miguel de Andes. <laughs> and I'm almost sure the same thing. You could live in a penthouse in Guadalajara and be and spend a million dollars. But at the same time, I, I tell people it's all about their expectations. If you, if you, if you have that $1,500 a month, uh, the only mistake I think a lot of people make is the expectations doesn't meet what they, the expectations that they have when they get here is not realistic. Uh, sometimes they may think that, oh, I'm going to get uh, 10 times more for my money than, than what I normally would get. So that's where people get disappointed. That's where we get a lot of people that go back, um, you know, and the, the cultural change. Uh, is very hard on people sometimes. Uh, it was even hard. I, I mean, I'm I'm Mexican American, half Puerto Rican. I'm Hispanic. I speak Spanish. So you would think my wife's from Monterrey. Um, you would think that we would uh, fit in really quick. Uh, but you got to also remember, like I come from the north. The north is very different than the central part of Mexico. Um, even the way we speak Spanish, both my wife and I, people think that we're mad at them. Uh, they they think that we're insulting them uh, the way we speak because in the north we're very direct we're very and actually we cuss a lot in the north uh, so it's very different uh, depending on the regions that you go so it it was even a cultural shock for us in a sense 
Now, it was easier for us to to adjust. But I think if a person has a realistic expectation, I mean, you could literally, if you want to rent a room and pay $200 and talk about your, your electricity bill, you know, my property taxes in Texas were getting close to $11,000 a year. That means I was still paying close to $1,000 for a house that was paid off a month just to keep my house. You know what my, my, and I have the same valued house. Probably my house is worth more than my house in Texas here in San Miguel de Allende. You know how much my property taxes are a year? $300. Yeah, that's insane. 300 bucks for the whole year. That's one of the big ones, the property tax. Like I've known people, you know, that like you, they pay five, ten, ten grand a year for something they already own. I mean, this is like middle ages feudalism, you know. And my property tax here is less than a hundred bucks. It's still, you know, well now with the pace of getting stronger, you know, maybe I pay like a hundred bucks a year, uh, and then so, you know, that th- that's also uh, amazing. And I, I did watch your recent video on expat fatigue, and it's funny though, I, I haven't really experienced it. Like I just like life here in mexico it's sunny every day it's warm i wear shorts and the t-shirt all year low cost of living like i don't have expat fatigue my, my only thing i sometimes i get nostalgic and sentimental for my other homeland croatia which is also beautiful the dalmatian coast and i dream of going back to my homeland but apart from that i don't really have expat fatigue here in uh mexico and maybe just get your thoughts on um where i think we got about two minutes and a half left uh no bull why why you while you why you call your channel no bull and there's been an industry that has sprouted now a bit online and on twitter of these people promoting services for expatriation to Latin america i, I think some of them exaggerate like someone um i know the person they were saying that they were paying for full-time daily made 90 dollars a week six days a week eight hours a day 90 dollars a week and we pay someone once, once, once a week for four hours. Um, uh, that it would come, ours, uh, my calculation would be like up to it's close to three hundred dollars. So I think people again they make things too too good to be true. So you know your your, your thoughts on sort of this um, industry and why it's important to you know the noble aspect. Exactly. You know the thing that it, the thing that really sparked me to start my channel is I want people to know the realities, like I told you before, it's all about expectation. And this whole industry has popped up. And the sad part is a lot of people have, and you you get a lot of people that come here and think they're going to become rich on YouTube. Um, You know, there's been a couple of big YouTubers that have made it, but you know, it's just like going into the movies and going to Hollywood. It's an expectation. An actor goes to Hollywood. And like I said, it's, it's, it's a matter of being, having your expectations and because of these expat services that are are propping up and some people don't even have any knowledge of what they're doing they're just telling people i'll help you get your residency Uh, as a matter of fact you don't need a real estate license here in mexico to sell real estate anybody can be a real estate agent um anybody can be an immigration facilitator i can say hey i'll help you get your immigration residency fixed up and everybody thinks i'm a lawyer because i work with immigration and i work with helping you get your immigration Ernie, so it's very important. We're, we're going to have like to I continue. Also, 
I'm going to have to have you back to continue this conversation. We are out of <laughs> time. Uh, the website is retiredlifeinmexiconobull.com. You'll find Ernie's YouTube channel through there and, and other stuff. Thank you for being with us on TNT. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Steve Malzberg is up next. Stay tuned.